You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's word today. Well, good morning, Living Hope. Welcome once again. Thank you so much for being here today. We really do appreciate you all showing up. Uh, even though you may have known things would be a little different today, uh, you still showed up. Pastor Dan isn't here, uh, so I'm going to do my best to fill in for him. Uh, worship was a little different, uh, but different doesn't mean bad. I liked it. I don't know about you guys. Uh, I thought it was great, and it really doesn't matter because it's not for me anyway. It's for him. <laughs> Amen. Uh, for those of you who are joining us online, we want to welcome you. We thank you so much for watching and joining us today. And I just want to bring you a word of encouragement today. I just want to encourage you. Um, you're probably saying, oh, that's good, Art, because uh, we didn't want to come here to be discouraged. So thank you for that. We appreciate that. We don't want a message of condemnation, so thank you. Uh, so I want to look at hope, and I want to look at the hope we have as followers of Christ, and I specifically want to look at the hope that we have uh, that's defined by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. All right, so now some of you just said, oh, no, Romans, we're going to be here for like three hours. So we follow those rabbit holes of Scripture that you can go through with Romans. But I assure you, um, I only have four talking points. They each have about 12 Scripture verses. No. <laughs> uh, we only have four talking points, so we'll be here for 30, 30, 40 minutes, 40 minutes tops. We'll be here, okay? Uh, so as usual, I want to start off in the dictionary, and I want to look at the definition of hope. So the definition of hope, the dictionary defines hope as a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. So hope is expectation. It's a desire as well, too. You want to see this thing happen. It also, uh, the dictionary also defines hope as a feeling of trust. Now, if we think about the biblical definition of hope, uh, I found this wonderful definition uh, by a pastor, Dr. Stephen Yule. He defines hope this way. It's great. Uh, it says, hope is the life-changing certainty that someday we'll have all that God has promised. Isn't that awesome? Hope should be life-changing. If it isn't, it should be. Right? But the other word that stands out to me is certainty. Certainty. Hope is certainty. We don't often associate hope with certainty, do we? We associate the word maybe with, with hope sometimes, right? Oh, I hope this happens. I'm not sure. Maybe it will, right? But for the Christian, hope is a certainty. It's a certainty that we feel in our very souls that we will see the promises of God. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So our very faith our very belief is based upon the hope of seeing the promises of Scripture fulfilled. But let's face it, we struggle. We have difficulties in this life. We have difficulties. We may even have health issues. We have health issues that might be with us for our entire lives, right? So we need to have hope. We need to hope in the Lord. Sometimes we need to realize that maybe there isn't an immediate fix for the problem. Because we live in a society where everything's at our fingertips and it's done instantly, right? But there might not be an immediate fix for the problem. We may even need to come to terms with the fact that we may never see a resolution to this problem in our lifetime. And you're probably thinking, well, that's not very encouraging, Art. That's not very hopeful. <laughs> you said you were bringing a message of encouragement. 
But what we constantly have to remind ourselves is that where the peace and comfort in the situation lies is not necessarily in the resolution of the problem, but in an understanding of who God is and who God is in that situation. He's a God that is with us. He's a God that is for us, who draws near, who comforts and strengthens us. He's a God that has made amazing promises about what's in store for us. Life may not always go well, but it always ends well for those that hope in the Lord. Amen? All right, so the first verses I want to look at are Romans 4, verses 16 to 22. You can go ahead and flip there in your Bibles. Did you already open the Romans? Did you cheat a little bit and get to Romans because I mentioned it? You ready? Okay. Romans 4, verses 16 to 22. We're going to put it up on the screen as well. And it's here where Paul is telling us that hope is rooted in the belief that God can do exactly what he has planned. Romans 4, beginning in verse 16, it says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. All right, so Paul uses Abraham to illustrate this point that God can do exactly what he's promised. Abraham's faith did not look to his circumstances. What were his circumstances? He was old. He was about 100 years old. Sarah, it says her womb was dead. She's well beyond childbearing years. So it's, it seems impossible to them that they could have a son. So Abraham's faith didn't look to his circumstances. It looked at the promises of God. We need to know we need to know what the promises of God are, and we need to look to those promises. God told Abraham that he would make him a great nation, and of course, that's exactly what he did. See, we can't, we can't look at something as impossible if God has promised it would happen. All right? Think about this. Our, our faith shouldn't be astonished that there were ten conversions at a worship concert one night, even though that's great. But our faith should be astonished at the thousands, the millions that hear the good news of the gospel and don't respond. Why? Because the Lord said he would build his church. He made that promise, and the gates of hell couldn't stand against it. So we need to trust that this is happening, even in this post-Christian world that we're living in. So Abraham, Abraham did not waver in his faith, and it gave glory to God. He was convinced that God was able to perform, to do what he said he would do, and it saw the work of done God in the immediate, because Isaac was born, right? but it also saw the work of God done in the eternal. It was credited to him as righteousness. Because even in the face of what seemed impossible, Abraham still had hope. He still had great faith that God would fulfill his promise. So, God honors great faith because great faith honors God. 
Well, go ahead and write that one down. I'll say it again. God honors great faith because great faith honors God. Now, the next verses we're going to look at are Romans 5, verses 1 through 11. Romans 5, beginning in verse 1. Actually, I want to tell you that first that it, uh, it's the idea that hope is rooted in the assurance that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. All right, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint. I love that. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for the righteous man will one die, Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. All right, so Paul begins this section with a therefore, which means he's explaining what came before that, right? So I learned this from Gene. When you see the word therefore, you have to pause and think, well, what's it there for? Right? <laughs> so up to this point in Romans, Paul explained that the only way to salvation is to be justified by grace through faith. And now he's explaining the benefits of this, right? It's not just some cool idea that Paul came up with. He's explaining the revelation that God has given to him. The first benefit is that we have peace with God, right? The Bible doesn't say we have peace with the world and the current condition of society. It doesn't say we have peace with the lusts of the flesh. It doesn't say we have peace with any other sin or idolatry that we've set up in our lives. It says we have peace with God. Life may be a battle, may always be a battle, but for the Christian, it's no longer a battle against God. It's a battle for God. Amen? Romans 5, verse 10, tells us of this. The second benefit is that we have a standing in grace with God. We stand in God's unmerited favor. Okay, the tense of the word stand that's used here is in the perfect tense. So it's used in the sense of the present, but with the thought of continuing on in the future. So the grace of God is not just a means of salvation. It's both a beginning and a continuing principle in the Christian life. And we've gone from one extreme to the other, haven't we? We've gone from being enemies of God, and then not just to a place of acceptance, but to a place of elevated favor. Right? an elevated position. We stand in his grace. So God's attitude towards the believer in Christ is one of favor, and get this, he actually likes us. He doesn't just love us, he likes us, because there's a difference, right? I want you to think about this. You, you all have cousins, right? Most of us have cousins, right? And you love them because they're family, but isn't there always that one cousin? Maybe it's an uncle, I don't know. 
You know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> Where you're like, ah, I'm not too sure about this guy. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And if you don't have that person in your family, well, then you might be that person. Um, (laughs) Well, you you know what I'm driving. (laughs) God sees us in terms of joy, of beauty and pleasure. We are his treasured possessions. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And we know that from the book of Genesis, of the account of creation, that everything that God created was good, right? He kicked back, he patted himself on the back, and he saw that it was good. So that means he sees us, his creation, as good. He likes us. And also, standing in grace means that we don't have to prove ourselves worthy of God's love. Aren't Aren't you thankful for that? Uh, The third benefit that we have is that we have access to God through Jesus Christ. And it's permanent. Permanent access to God. It's not like uh, we're granted this one-time interview, like a job interview, where you've got to get all cleaned up and dress in your best suit uh, for this one shot to impress the big guy. No, we have permanent access through Jesus to the throne of grace. So Paul says here that the logical response to such a standing in grace is to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's what we rejoice in. If we rejoice in our works, if we call attention to the good deeds that we did and say, hey, look what I accomplished, we're giving the glory to ourselves and not to God. So it's in the hope of the glory of God that we focus on, and that is the hope that we can rejoice uh, we're cruising right along here. You guys still with me? Say amen if you're still with me. All right. <laughs> Only two of you have fallen asleep. Okay, that's good. Next, we're going to go on to Romans 15, verse 13. Just one verse this time. Romans 15, verse 13, where the idea is hope is rooted in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the Pentecostal church, everyone said amen, right? We love the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, verse 13 says, Now may God, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Those three words, hope, joy, and peace, they form a triad that represents the attitude of the believer in looking towards the future. The hope, joy, and peace we experience as believers all depend upon the promises in God's word and are kept alive through the constant energizing power of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at that sentence. After, uh, with joy and peace, he says, in believing. In believing. So first, we have to trust. We have to believe this. Trust is a prerequisite condition of God being able to fill your soul. We simply must believe the words, promises, and commands of Scripture. There must be faith before there is filling. You got that? There has to be faith before there's God's filling. So we can shut our hearts or we can open them. Open your hearts, church. Open your hearts. You will receive the best, the highest, the truly divine gifts that your heavenly Father is longing to give to you. In Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Well, what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? 
Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Let me give you an example from my life that I was thinking about. Um, Every Christmas, uh, it was just me and my sister, my only sibling. Every Christmas, my father would hand out the gifts to me and my sister. One at a time, we'd open them. One at a time, we'd watch each other open our gifts. Uh, But my father, there was always this one gift that he would kind of hand over slowly with a little sly smile on his face. He'd give us a wink and hand it over because this was a special gift. This was something that he picked out himself, you know, that he just knew we were going to love. It might not even have been necessarily on our our Christmas list, but he just knew this was going to be special for us, right? And I always looked forward to that gift. I always looked forward uh, to that smile and that wink, right? Because I knew something special was coming. And I know that my father always looked forward to giving us that gift, right? So how much more should we be looking forward to the spiritual gifts, promises, and blessings that our Heavenly Father has wrapped and waiting under the tree for us? He's longing to hand them out to us. So we should eagerly await those gifts of the Spirit. The God who created your spirit surely can touch your spirit and fill your spirit. I'm going to say that one again. The God who created your spirit surely can touch your spirit and fill you with his spirit. Now I want you to think about the times when God touched your spirit. When he touched your soul, when he moved you to tears, when he brought about breakthrough and deliverance, when he healed your body, when he brought a loved one to salvation, when he protected and comforted you. Now I want you to realize that as wonderful and as beautiful as those times were, we have yet to know the deepest depth of his love. We have scarcely known the heights of his power and of the Holy Spirit within us. Now if that doesn't give you hope, I might as well just stop right now. Jesus said in John 7, verses 38 through 39, that whoever believes in him out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It goes on to say, Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those that believe in him were to receive. Jesus wasn't just talking about a trickle of water. He wasn't referring to a stagnant pond either. That is a whole other sermon right there. (laughs) That's a whole other... Pastor Dan, I give you permission. If you're watching, go ahead and use that for a future sermon. (laughs) Trickle of water or or, uh, a stagnant pond. (laughs) Where's your faith? All right. Uh, No, (laughs) Jesus was talking about rivers. Rivers. Notice the plural there. Rivers of living water. We're talking hydroelectric power. That's powerful stuff when we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And this, this is what our hope is rooted in. Next, we're going to go to Romans 15, verse 4. The idea here is that hope is rooted in the encouragement of the Scriptures. Romans 15, 4 says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have Scripture encourages us by its examples, by its stories about, peop- about people's trials and triumphs, and also by th- its uh, revelation of its principles. And we're not merely consoled and comforted by Scripture. We're built up by it, right? It's a great thing to have your tears dried 
but it's an even greater thing to have your soul stirred as with a great rallying cry or with the sounding of a trumpet. It wouldn't be a very lofty goal of Scripture to just bring comfort to you, although that's a beautiful thing, but to encourage, to make strong in heart, resolved in will, and incapable of being crushed in spirit. That is the lofty goal of Scripture, and it speaks volumes of the God who authored it. Make no mistake, the Bible is God's great love letter to us. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Other translations say uh, all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, fully prepared for all good things. And we need only look at the Psalms to find examples of these encouraging words, right? The Psalms don't just tell of sorrows and give words of comfort and then just leave us there. No, they give instruction on how to look to heaven with confidence and with hope. They stir the soul and they lift us up from the pit of despair. And then we gain this confidence. We hold on to hope because we've all experienced his might, right? His power, his deliverance, and guess what? We learn that he can do it again. He's done it in the past, so we know that he can do it again. It's like, it's like being on a boat, and you're in the, in the harbor. You're leaving the safety of the harbor, heading out into the open ocean, and you see that first big swell, that first big wave about to hit the boat, and you're kind of unsure, and you're starting to question whether or not the boat's big enough, and you're scared, but then you make it through. And so the next waves that come towering over the boat, you're not as scared. You're just knowing that they're going to slip harmlessly under the bow. They don't seem as frightening. So in this same way, we know that God is able to deliver us because he's done it already in the past. He's protected and provided for us in ways that we're not even aware of. And it is his good pleasure to do it again. Scripture tells us this. But guess what? In order to find this encouragement, in order to find this hope and revelation, what do we need to do? That's right, we need to crack open that book that might be collecting dust somewhere on a shelf or serving as a paperweight. I'm not talking about you guys. I know you guys are in the Word all the time. I'm talking about somebody else. <laughs> right? Thank God we have a, <laughs> a Bible-loving church. Praise God. So I just encourage you, keep on in the Scriptures, and it will bolster your hope. All right, as I begin to wrap things up, I want to read from 1 Peter 1. 3 through 9, uh, which is a scripture, incidentally, that our church gets its name and our mission statement from. Our mission statement being that we are a place of hope and healing through the message of Jesus Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9 said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, 
you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, I'm not going to break these verses down because there's just so much in there, but it serves as a powerful reminder of who we hope in. Charles Spurgeon says this about these verses. It's also called a living hope because it is imperishable. Other hopes fade like withering flowers. The hopes of the rich, the boasts of the proud, all these will die out as a candle when it flickers in the socket. The hope of the greatest monarch has been crushed before our eyes. He set up the standard of victory too soon, and it has seen it trailed in the mire. There is no unwaning hope beneath the changeful moon. The only imperishable hope is that which climbs above the stars and fixes itself upon the throne of God and the person of Jesus Christ. So remember where your hope lies, church. Remember who it lies with. You may be going through a tough time right now. You may be going through a tough season of life. You may be going through a season of doubt right now where you're doubting yourself where you're doubting God, where you're questioning God. You may be saying, I can't make it through this. I'm just so unsure of what to do. But I'm here to remind you today that it's not about your feelings. It's about your foundation. You may be thinking, I just can't accomplish this goal. I'm so disappointed. I'm stuck. I don't know where to go from here. But I'm here today to tell you it's not about your failures, it's about your foundation. In this house of life that we've built up with all of its uh, adornments and decorations, it's not about the furniture, it's about your foundation. It's not about the face mask you sometimes hide behind, it's about your foundation. It's not about the facade that you've put up, it's about your foundation. And your foundation is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and it cannot be shaken. And your God is good. And he is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than you could ever ask or imagine. And your God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. So keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. And keep hoping in the one who is the author and finisher, the author and perfecter of your faith so that you will have that life-changing certainty that someday you will have all that God has promised you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to close us in prayer. Uh, but after that, this altar will be open for prayer. If you're in need of prayer, come on up. Uh, we'll have people here to we'll pray with you, we'll pray for you. Uh, so let's just thank God. We just thank you, Lord, for this morning, for this time of fellowship and this time of worship with you, Lord God. We thank you for the promises in your word and that you are true, Lord God. Jesus, you said that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And so we trust in every word and every promise that you have given us uh, in your word of Scripture. Father, I just ask that you would bless each person abundantly as they leave this place today, Lord God. Be with them. Bolster their hope, Lord God. Be their God. Be the God of all hope for them as they face the week and the trials to come. Bless us all, I pray, in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.